From the Free Speech Project at Georgetown University, this is Speaking Freely. We are in a crisis in our democracy, and one of the main reasons for the crisis that we're at this crossroads is really white supremacy. People can see the next generation is more racially diverse, and we hear all of this anti-immigrant speech and all of this speech against African Americans that's been there all along, but it's gotten a voice. I'm Sanford Unger. And on this edition of Speaking Freely, our guest is Catherine Culleton Gonzalez. She's on the staff of the U.S. Civil Rights Commission. When we spoke with her recently, she was senior counsel for Demos, a nonpartisan organization that works to strengthen democracy, defend voting rights, and promote racial equity. Culleton Gonzalez is a civil and human rights lawyer who is concerned with the balance between free speech and other rights. I'm a big believer in free speech and the First Amendment of the Constitution, the First Amendment of our Bill of Rights. But as a civil rights lawyer, as a person who um, needs to stop discrimination and make sure that there is equal access for people of color, which is basically my job description, I've also you know, seen many instances where the idea of free speech has gone too far or folks who are making racist speech or infringing on other people's rights um, to equal access to voting rights, to equal access to education, um, and you know, even in public discourse, has gone too far. Let, let's take that apart a little bit. I'd mm-hmm. like to understand how you would um, how you would implement that point of view. What sorts of speech would you think should be constrained in some fashion? In the case of free speech, the legal answer, it always depends on the context, course, right? So um, it's a different situation when you have NFL players versus the president making speech, right? Or right. a government official making speech or, for example, uh, the Confederate flag on license plates. So even right. this very conservative Supreme Court said that the state of Texas and other states can prohibit applications to put the Confederate flag on, on license plates. From my point of view, um, the Confederate flag, as we've seen so recently in Charlottesville, and, you know, the monuments and many symbols of the Confederacy uh, are very much associated with illegal racial discrimination and with actual fear. So there's a couple of other rights at stake in those instances. So just to break it down, if you're in a school setting, there's the right to equal access to education. The Supreme Court decided that a long time ago right. in Brown versus, versus the Board of Education. Um, education being the foundation of democracy. If you infringe the right to equal access to education, the damage is lifetime. It really harms a person more Absolutely. than other sorts of infringements. Or it, um, and so, therefore, in the balance of rights between the 14th Amendment right to equal access and the First Amendment right to free speech, we see that schools not only can but should restrict hate speech uh, because that actually creates a hostile environment for education for children of color and their and their families. So you would mm-hmm. say schools at all levels should restrict hate speech, including colleges and universities? Colleges and universities also may. So the rights of the individual student and the context actually depends a lot with whether it's a private school or a public school and, you know, the age, um, you know, the educational environment, and I'm quoting Supreme Court cases, you're allowed to have restrictions on for the fundamental principles of public education um, to protect them and also to protect the privacy of students and also to for what's considered appropriate. You mentioned the Confederate flag before yes. and the famous Texas license plate case. Yes. Do you think that it's appropriate for colleges and universities to restrict the display of the Confederate flag, for example, in the windows of student residence halls, which is, mm-hmm. I think, a common problem that 
a number of colleges and universities have had to deal with. I think after the Texas license plate case that colleges and universities actually have arguably more of a right to restrict that. And again, it depends on the context. But if you want to have an educational environment that's free and equally open to all students of all backgrounds, um, if that Confederate flag is provoking fear and, pro and is in the context of other discriminatory issues, like here in our own area at University of Maryland, at American University, my alma mater, you know, we've seen nooses, we've seen a lot more provocative and dangerous types of speech. And so if within that context, the Confederate flag is something that's seen as causing fear and reasonably does cause fear among students and does create a discriminatory and hostile environment, then yes, that speech can be limited. Um, I would urge everyone to be cautious about that because everyone has the rights to free speech. You don't leave it when you walk into a college or a university or even an elementary school. If University of Florida, for one example, decides that it has to let Richard Spencer speak, what are the rights of people then to disrupt him from speaking? How do you, how do you resolve that issue? Because most places say that there is not something known as the heckler's veto. You can't allow the hecklers mm -hmm. and the, dis the, the people who disrupt the speech to decide what speech is acceptable and what's not. From the point of view of the university, you want to make sure that the rules are applied equally to everyone. So the same rules that would apply to Richard Spencer and white supremacists coming to speak, that you may not disrupt the educational environment and you may not create an environment that's hostile, that violates equal protection, you know, would also apply to anybody in the audience. Um, and the rules of the forum just need to be consistently applied. I teach undergraduate seminars on free speech. If you were talking to my students, today, mm -hmm. they would say to you, ah, but there's a slippery slope here. Mm -hmm. How do you know where to draw the line? How do you know what constitutes speech that you want to restrict and what does not? And who decides? Those are great questions. It sounds like you have some, some wonderful students. And I think it's a very important question. <laughs> um, and you know, as a proponent of free speech myself, I don't want to go down that slippery slope. but. It sounds vague when we're talking about it depends on the facts and it depends on the context. But once you start laying out the facts and applying the rules to the facts, you know, we're going to see that there is a limit to the restrictions. We're going to see where the restrictions fall. What you want to do is just think of it very analytically and you'll figure out that this slippery slope has an end. So we have a balance of the First Amendment with other rights, um, the right to public safety, the right to equal protection, and the reasonable time, place, and manner restrictions, especially those that are important for public safety. So, so what happens when somebody says to you, Demos sounds like a wonderful organization, protecting democracy, enhancing democracy, mm -hmm. and your goals are excellent, but are you not running the risk of controlling people's speech in order to make others feel better. Is that not a potential problem? So I think that's exactly where the limit of the law is. And you know, keep in mind that I've been speaking about public schools. I understand and that. so right. the context you know, matters. And um, right. we do believe in free speech. The First Amendment is very important for our democracy. In fact, it's one of the um, fundamental rights that we use in voting rights litigation. The First Amendment right to express yourself by voting should not be restricted right. um, by gerrymandering and these, and these other forms of voter suppression. Are, you know? there, are there new threats to people's right to vote these days? In, in America? 
Yes, there are something that's been part of American history from the foundation of our country that certain people weren't even allowed to, to be citizens and vote. Right. And I would say, you know, since the civil rights movement in 1965 and the enactment of the Voting Rights Act, um, things were always tough, but they were getting progressively better. Mm -hmm and some legal structural things have changed. The Supreme Court struck down some of the protections of the Voting Rights Act in yes, uh, the did. Shelby case. Um, right. So we don't have uh, Department of Justice review of voting changes in states that have a history of discrimination in voting. We've also just seen, you know, wild allegations and unfounded allegations of voter fraud, That's particularly about people of color, to justify voter right. ID laws, which 7% um, of Americans don't have the type of ID that, that these seven percent of eligible Americans do not have the type of ID that even you know, though they are eligible to even vote. though they are citizens of voting age and eligible to vote and there's also some racial disparities in that too so um, when states cut back on um, access to the right to vote through these sort of modern day poll taxes and well, modern and, day literacy tests they, right. they they surgically target African Americans I'm quoting a federal court and in, in, in stating that and have also surgically targeted Latinos, and I'm again quoting federal courts. So, well, voting okay. is a form of speech, of course. Yes. And so, do you think these allegations that the president and others have made about millions mm. and millions of people voting fraudulently are? Groundless. They're groundless. They're patently false. I mean, they're just allegations made to make people fear. Uh, you know, the real fraud is restricting the right to vote. And, you know, we don't see the president talking about, you know, Russian hacking of our elections or other other no, other types of issues. Instead, we have these false allegations. We know that they're false because for the last decade, um, you know, the Department of Justice um, intensely investigated all sorts of allegations of voter fraud. And there's been study after study of every court case and every allegation that came out in the press and the actual amount of even the real allegations that are made as opposed to the ones just thrown out in, in the press is much smaller and then mm -hmm. the ones that are even prosecuted it's 0.001 percent it's you know a phantom voter fraud. So we're in a period right now of tension around mm -hmm. free speech, yes. national tension, not just colleges and universities and civil society, state legislatures are taking extraordinary measures to pass laws that are questionable constitutionality, I think, mm -hmm. restricting protests and so on. I want to ask you an unanswerable question. Okay. <laughs> Maybe you have an answer that no one else has thought of. Where, where do you see this settling down? I mean, that's why we have a free speech project at Georgetown University mm -hmm. now, to try to assess the state of free speech in America today and make some new suggestions, come up with some frameworks perhaps for for civil discussion and mm -hmm. return to civility are you hopeful that that might happen would you encourage us to do this or would you just say give it up and fight for more basic rights i mean wh where do you think this is all going to go i think it's an incredibly important issue it's the first amendment in the bill of rights of you know the foundation of american democracy and my my only point is there are other there are other fundamental rights the rights to freedom from discrimination uh, the so, right to the right to vote, the right to you know the rights to protect the public health and the public safety. Um, those are also those rights, are and, I, and I don't want to say those um, you know carry too far. I think we need to be reasonable and analytical, and also to your point about civil discourse. Um, again, we need to have more freedom of the press, and we need to count more on public information being accurate. We've seen you know all kinds of allegations of fake news that aren't true. You know, we need to have good journalism, good reporting. And for folks to be 
It's usually the purveyors of fake news who accuse the mainstream media of fake news. I have found that. I've uh, also found, you know, alternative facts by the same purveyors, um, you know, justifying all kinds of discriminatory right. policies. Um, but bottom line, mm -hmm. you are confident that we're going to work all this out and our democracy will get healthy again. I think it's going to take a whole lot of work to tell you the truth, right? So. Um, I think that uh, this is an excellent project and we should all keep fighting for fundamental rights and uh, you know we're supposed to be the beacon of democracy. We are in a crisis in our democracy and one of the main reasons for the crisis that we're at this crossroads is really white supremacy. People can see the next generation is more racially diverse and we hear all of this anti-immigrant speech and all of this speech against African Americans that's you know, been there all along, but it's gotten a voice. We, we see the, the, the battle for really the heart of American democracy playing out in elections um, with a president who um, doesn't want everyone to be included in democracy and doesn't want some people to have free speech and even in, at the state and local level. So the Virginia gubernatorial race in 2016, you know, is very symbolic of that. We have one side that's for the Confederate monuments, that um, is for gerrymandering, is for voter ID, is extremely anti-immigrant um, and is conflated undocumented immigrants with gangs, which is something that um, is completely untrue and I have to say you know I'm from a family that has immigrants in it and the folks in my family are not gang members um, from Guatemala it doesn't mean they're gang members um, and on the other hand we have you know another version of democracy that has yet to really be fully realized for the next generation I would say both sides need to work on not falling into the so trap of, of pitting us against each other in our so country. So that's a form of democracy that's more inclusive. An inclusive democracy. And to have that inclusiveness, must we constrain racist speech or forms of free speech that we're unhappy with? Yes, to the first one, we need to constrain racist speech. We need to do that in a constitutional manner. It depends very much on the setting. So for public school children, there's no place for racist speech in public school. Aside from possibly learning about how it is that that has become no longer acceptable in our society uh, because the, the foundation of our democracy is public education and equal access to public education. So yes, there need to be some constraints on the interpretation of every single one of the fundamental rights in our country in the Bill of Rights, including speech. Randomly saying- In order saying, to promote an inclusive, peaceful society. Yes, and at, in order to promote an inclusive democracy and an inclusive and peaceful society. I would say that there are limits on that theory. Uh, it's not every speech that makes someone unhappy. That should, that should be restricted in any way. Any restriction should be reasonable and it should be directly tied to you know, those principles that we're I, talking about. I have a student right now who draws a distinction between hate speech and disagreeable speech. Yes. And she says if we could just figure out a framework to tell the difference between those two, we, we could solve a problem. I think that that's a good theory, but I would amend it, give her a friendly amendment to that. So it's not a dualistic exercise. It's not as if there's hate speech, which is easy to see, um, should be restricted and doesn't belong in public spaces. And then there's everything else. Um, there's a gray area in between. There's discriminatory speech that can create a hostile environment, particularly in educational spaces. 
So there's an in-between space that we need to be very careful about. And that's where arguably you could have a slippery slope. Really either way, we've gone along a slippery slope of you know, accepting the Confederate flag on license plates when in fact it doesn't have to be there. Catherine Culleton Gonzalez is the former senior counsel for Demos, a nonpartisan organization that works to strengthen democracy. She's currently with the U.S. Civil Rights Commission. For an extended version of our conversation, you can visit the Speaking Freely section of our website, freespeechproject.georgetown.edu. Our project is funded by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation. I'm Sanford Unger. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Speaking Freely. Freely.